Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle. This is season five, episode five, mono plus polyam relationships. So that's our subject today. I'm going to be talking with Fee from the Polyamoring blog and the Monocorn Sanctuary about mono plus polyam relationships, the pros and cons of them, and generally sort of how to make them work for you. This is something that I admittedly like really don't emotionally understand, so I invited somebody who is pretty much an expert. Uh, Fee runs one of the biggest groups on Facebook for monogamous people in mono plus poly relationships, and she's on TikTok at polyamoring talking about this topic regularly as well as keeping her blog that's been up for several years about it. So without further ado... Here is my conversation with Fee about mono plus polyam relationships. So, as I was saying today, we're here with Fee, who runs a Facebook group about mono plus poly relationships, uh, and also used to run a blog about mono plus poly relationships and her polyamorous journey. Um, I guess technically you do still run the blog. Right. You just technically the, the blog still exists. Um, I'm a person who doesn't like to revisit things I've already written. And so, you know, when people say, oh, what about this? I'll be like, ah, there's a blog for that. So I don't rehash old topics if I haven't changed my mind on them. So also hi, but yes, hi. the blog still exists. And if something new comes up, I'll write about it, but I don't force myself to write regularly. That makes sense. So what brought you to mono plus poly relationships? Was it just by chance you ended up in one? Pretty much, I guess. Uh, the the shortened version of the long story is uh, in 2014, I, I was married, monogamous relationship. Uh, my husband passed away. After he passed away, I sort of went back to like my roots in the kink and BDSM scene. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, uh, the Venn diagram between kink and polyamory is like a stack of pancakes. Yep. So it was kind of impossible for me to try and find any sort of partner who wasn't already partnered with other people. Um, at first I thought that was, you know, good because I was like, I was still recovering from the grief of my loss. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I incorrectly thought polyamory. Perfect. It's a part-time relationship. <laughs> uh, so it turns out that's not how that works. It's not a part-time relationship. Um, and there were a couple of false starts as I think most people in a polyamorous journey have, mm -hmm. uh, in, but, before I got to the point where I said, I don't ever want to date a polyamorous person again. These people talk about ethics, but they don't really have ethics. It's full of crap. And, um, and then I, I met, I met my partner and he's polyamorous and his brand, his flavor of polyamory was compatible with how I wanted to feel in a relationship. And it turned out that it didn't matter that he had other partners, especially because I really liked his other partners. I thought they were cool people. Um, the reality is, and I always say this when I talk about mono plus poly, the mono person has to be mono by choice. We're not talking about like an OPP situation where like he would prefer that I don't date anyone else. I can date as many people as I want. That number happens to be one. Right. So you believe in this sort of configuration for people whose polysaturation point is one, where Correct. one half of the situation is a person whose polysaturation is one and the other half of a given dyad is a person whose polysaturation number is higher is more than one. Sure. Uh, I do think that mono plus poly is, and this is something that I sort of started to figure out along the way. I think it's a form of relationship anarchy where nobody gets to decide who has how many partners. Mm -hmm. like, if I want to have more partners, I can have more partners. If an amazing other person landed in my lap, I wouldn't be like, no, I mustn't. I'm, I'm, I'm monogamous, but it's been almost seven years and that hasn't happened and I'm not looking for it and I'm happy. So it seems fine. Right. So 
I guess the reason I wanted to have you on is because I don't understand the position of being comfortable in a sort of monogamously monogamously oriented isn't the word I want monogamous sort of presenting position within a polycule <laughs> because even though I did it for a while like as people who listened too much to the podcast know uh my romantic partner was the only person I was seeing for like two and a bit years at one point and that was really uncomfortable for me I spent well, the whole that time makes sense. being like I wish I had the bandwidth to be dating right now. Wait, I just got together the bandwidth to start dating and now there's a pandemic and I can't. Oh. Right? Like it was terrible timing for me personally. So I don't understand being in the position where like I'm actually quite comfortable here, even though I've seen people who do it very successfully. So I want to talk to someone who's comfortably doing it yeah. very successfully before I make it sound like you're all either more evolved beings or like aliens <laughs> no. from another planet. Um, because like I've had metas who are really happily only seeing one person who we're connected by in the past, but I never quite got it. And I was always like, are you sure? Are you sure you're really happy? Well, let's put it this way. For the lengthy amounts of times in my life that I have been, in fact, unpartnered mm -hmm. and wanted a partner, I probably felt like how you felt when you only had one partner. It's just like you said, my polysaturation point is one. I have, have you, I mean, this is what people say. <laughs> have you tried dating? People are terrible. Yes. I have no patience for it. It's a lot of work. I don't like the heartbreak. I don't like going on dates and being disappointed. I, I like, I'm, I like my comfort zones. I have the people around me that I like to have plus, and this is, this is something really specific to me, but I've heard from other people in mono plus poly situations that it applies to them as well. As someone who is what I call a recovering codependent, mm -hmm. polyamory has given me the structure to not be codependent. It won't let me be. I have to have time for myself because by the nature of this relationship, my partner is not with me every single day. That's a really interesting way to look at it, that it's like a great way to sort of structure building in time for yourself and your own needs into a relationship instead of being the person who always does for others. Mm -hmm. And I have found so many interesting ways to fill that time that it's one of the things that when, when my late husband, when he passed away, mm -hmm. I woke up and realized I had no identity of my own. I had given up all of my hobbies to take on his hobbies. I'd stopped doing anything of interest to me because I wanted to be doing what was of interest to him. Mm -hmm. And then he also had like chronic pain and illness. And so I also became like full-time caregiver. So I lost all sense of who I am, what I like, what do I like to do? I didn't, I had nothing. And that was a really scary and uncomfortable space for me to be in. Uh, prior to that, I, you know, people had been like, oh, you know, fee, you're codependent. And I was like, yeah, so what's the problem with that? I don't see what's so wrong about loving someone so hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I get it. I, I lost myself in that relationship. So being with this in this structure now, I was able to figure out who I am and what I want. And it turns out I have it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing missing. Um, that's not to say that I haven't gone on dates or, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I've, I have gone on dates and then in the kink stuff, like I have played with other people. I just, as, as a, I guess, demi-sexual person, mm -hmm. it just never gets to the point where I'm like, I really want to spend more time with you. I don't. Right. It just doesn't do it for you. <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. Sometimes I have really wanted it to. Sometimes I've had like enough attraction to someone that I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, I want to have a flirtationship with you now and let's see how this goes. Mm -hmm. And then after a couple months, I'm like, I'm bored now. We're done. This isn't the dopamine hit I thought it would be. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other hormones didn't kick in. Turn it. And I have a really hard time also when I recognize that the, there are times when I start thinking, oh, do I want to date someone else? Because, you know, partner's not around enough or we're not seeing each other as often. 
And that feels like a crummy reason to start dating another person because what happens when his schedule shifts again and he is around? Am I just going to like drop this other person? Well, right. And if it's like just to fill a void in that relationship, is it that you're actually meeting a need of your own or is it that you're trying to fulfill something that's missing in that relationship in particular right. that you want in that relationship? And I have learned over these years that that's, that's something for me to work on on myself. If I'm feeling like something is missing, I need to figure out how to fill it without relying on someone else to meet that need for me. Um, I had been, you know, in the, in the early days before I met this partner, one of the problems that I had with the concept of polyamory is it started to feel like people were treating other, like their, their potential partners and, and, and temporary partners, like need, need filling objects. Mm -hmm. Um, it's one of the things in the mono plus poly groups, um, that comes up a lot is it's really hard, uh, to imagine. Okay. Let me back it up a little bit. When, when it happens, when a mono person starts, like, let's say they're already in a, in a committed monogamous relationship. And one person says, I've just discovered polyamory and this resonates and I'm polyamorous. And I want to talk about opening up. Mm -hmm. The thing that happens in the mono brain most of the time is what's wrong with me? Why am I not enough? Mm -hmm. This, my, my partner is doing this because of something that I am lacking. This right. is my fault. I am not providing them with everything they need. Right. What yeah. does that other person have that I don't? It's all comparative. Mm -hmm. Um, and when they ask their polyamorous partner, well, but why are you polyamorous? polyamorous people very often say, well, you know, you can't be expected to meet all of my needs and I have other needs that you can't meet. And that, da, 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 like, this is like a common thing people say. It's like, oh, polyamory is about meeting different needs with different people. But in a monogamous brain, usually not all, I don't speak for all monogamous people, but mm -hmm. for many of us, um, that concept of need feels like something we can fix. Um, like, okay, well, if you need that, I'll do that even if I don't like it. And then, and then you've met that need and you don't need somebody else. Right. Or it reads as, okay, if that's a need, but can't between us doing the thing and you doing a thing by yourself, you meet most of mm -hmm. your needs. I, when I'm talking about being, whether someone is well suited to polyamory, one of the things that I ask about is if they're used to actually managing their needs because being able to look at your needs and go, okay, which of these do I meet by myself? Which do I meet by doing things with friends? Which do I meet by doing with my significant other, whatever? And actually assessing that is not a thing that people normally do when they're in monogamous relationships. They normally just kind of go, well, everything is a me thing or an us thing. Yep. And well, one of the things that helps me because a lot of, a lot of what got me to be okay with monoplus poly and polyamory in general was just reframing. Mm -hmm. And I realized polyamory isn't about need. It's about want. Mm -hmm. I can't argue with a want. I can argue with a need. I can be like, oh, well, you need someone who's into X, Y, Z. Well, I will learn how to do X, Y, Z and then need taken care of. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I want to have experiences with other people, I can't fix, I can't be other people. Yep. And that just it's, that was the beginning of the process of taking myself out of the reason why somebody would want to be polyamorous. Mm -hmm. It's not about me. That's like asking you, like, why do you have brown curly hair? Like, you, it's just who you are. I and until you diet or something, I guess that might not be the best <laughs> example. <laughs> well, right, but like, why do you look the way you look? Why are you? Why are you right? the way you are? Does it? One of the things um, when I, when I do take on, I, I am a coach for monoplus poly, but I'm not currently taking new clients because I have like a day job and it takes up too much of my bandwidth. So, but when I do have clients, that's one of the things that I like tell them is don't, don't worry about why just accept that they are. Yeah. And then, and then like an deal with it. That they can't, they can't, can't change. Right. 
Um, and I know that that's an ongoing like debate within the polyamorous community itself as to whether or not it's an orientation, but like, yeah, some people are it is doing or not, it because some people feel it as one. We then have to sort of assume that it is one. And just, if you aren't particularly strongly oriented that way, then you're somewhere in the middle of that spectrum and that's valid too. Exactly. It's like, you know what? Some people are polyamorous to their core. Some people are doing polyamory for a time, mm -hmm. but while they're doing it, it looks the same. So it doesn't really matter whether it's an identity or not. Yep. Let's just treat them as, you know, it's like with, it's like with gender identity or prone, it's all, we all make it everything up. Everything is a construct. It's all made up. Mm -hmm. So just let people be who they are. Yep. That's so, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so I guess for me, I see people when they're reacting to other people's posts in like help forums and stuff online go, oh, that sounds so monogamous in your thinking whenever somebody says anything they don't agree with. And it's one of my knee jerk, like this person doesn't actually have anything helpful to say. Mm -hmm. reactions because it means they're choosing not to engage with any of the content that someone's actually putting forward but is that something that like makes those spaces particularly challenging for people who are in orientation mismatched relationships like this yeah and you will find that mo this is why i created the monos only group so I have a, I have a Facebook group. I, I keep trying to move it off of Facebook, but I just don't have the patience for discord. So, mm -hmm. um, but I have a Facebook group called the monocorn sanctuary. Monocorn is a word I made up because I was like, I need a word for what this is. And <laughs> unicorn is, you know, that, so I'm a monocorn. Ta-da! It makes sense if you think about it anyway. So I created the monocorn sanctuary and it is a group for the mono halves of non-monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. No polyamorous people allowed. Um, and the reason is because in the even in the largest mono plus poly Facebook group there is, and I used to be a moderator in that group, and it is a, it is a great group and it tries very hard, but mm -hmm. the polysplaining, like the number of times that a monogamous person like will post and, and just reach out asking for validation, like, oh, you know, my partner is out on a date and I feel so lonely. I don't know what to do. And the poly people will be like, well, just go out on a date. Okay. Monogamous people do not just want to go out on a date. They don't want to do that. That's not helpful. And that happens a lot in those groups. So that's why I created this space. Now there were other monos only groups, mm -hmm. but they tended to be very anti-polyamory in nature. Oh yeah. So that was a, yeah. So you those groups group were like, I like, hate polyamory. Monos only, but we're not here to bash our partners. We love our partners and think this system can work for us. We just know we might have a bad day and need to yep exactly that's that's and it's in the description that says like we're not like in this group you must accept that polyamory is valid even if it doesn't work for you, even if you don't like it, it is valid. You cannot hate polyamory. You can hate how it affects you, but you cannot hate polyamory. And, and it says in the group description, if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for a place to vent, like there are other groups for that, go there. Mm -hmm. um, venting obviously is a thing that happens regularly, but what I really love is I think at that group at this point, I haven't looked, but it's been, it's been over a thousand people for a while. It is the most nurturing, caring group. People will share their wins as much as their losses when they're upset, when they're happy. There was a post recently that someone said, oh my gosh, I just felt compersion for the first time. Oh my gosh. And they're celebrating. And it's such a supportive atmosphere mm -hmm. in the, I don't know, five years that I've been running this group. I've only ever had to boot out two people. Wow. Um, it's, it's just, it's. Wonder. I almost don't want it to get that much bigger because then I know it's going to get out of control, but, <laughs> but it is, it's just a really nurturing space. And a lot of people have shared that having that space has helped them get through the roughest parts of their partner coming out. Or as they, I know that it's a, it's a controversial, uh, 
word, but in um in that space that here, so it's okay. The polybombing. Because the they so they call it the polybomb when a when their partner says I'm polyamorous and drops that like bomb on them. But then other Uh, people in in the polyamorous side go, Oh, that's really violent. Oh, I don't know if I've ever heard that one. So it's it's called that. I try to I try to stay away from Hmm. that, but that is what they call it. Um a lot of people struggle a lot with that at first. And then there are two, my two favorite posts in that group are either I finally got to the other side and I'm okay with this and I'm starting to see the benefits for me. Mm-hmm. I have free time. I'm pursuing my own interests. I've started doing writing a book, started a podcast. Like people are like realizing that their partner being away gives them their own time back mm-hmm. and they're enjoying it. I love those. I also love the post when someone says, I've realized that I've come to the end of the line with this relationship, but I understand myself better now. I understand my partner better now. I understand how to communicate better now. And even though polyamory isn't for me, this process helped me become a better version of myself. Yeah. I love, I still call that a successful relationship. It absolutely That's is. That's fantastic. a lot out of it. Yes. Um, so I think that one of the big things is it's not mono versus poly, it's mono plus poly. Mm-hmm. And one of the analogies that I use a lot is imagine you have an iPhone and an Android and you figure out a charger cable that will give them both juice. Like that will work to charge both of them. Mm-hmm. That's mono plus poly. The universal adapter. It's the universal adapter. <laughs> if it works, it doesn't always work. I know it's really hard for a lot of people. And, and I did a recent TikTok about this. It's really hard for the poly person um, for the polyamorous person, when they start dating a monogamous person and the monogamous person says something like, well, I'm going to do this for a little while until I meet someone monogamous. And then I want ultimately to be monogamous. So yep. then the polyamorous person feels like a placeholder. Well, yeah, that's definitely from that end of things. I know lots of polyamorous people who try not to date monogamous identified people or people who are like, I might be open to trying polyamory or I might be open to you being polyamorous, but I don't know. And I've never tried this before. Right. Versus someone who's like, well, previously I was in a relationship that involved polyamory and that worked fine for me, even though I don't want it. Right. The experienced monocorn. Uh, So we're going up like, you know, two levels of twinkly fairy dust. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Does that what kind of my little pony could i make the like experienced <laughs> monocorn my daughter's really obsessed with my little pony right now so like would one of the alicorn princesses be I don't know. you I'm, know what it's been a long time since I'm i even ready. i don't even know the my little ponies anymore <laughs> i played with them when i was young but that was a very long time ago <laughs> yeah look i'm sorry i've been reading a five-year-old five minute my little pony <laughs> stories Aww. every night for the last month so um it is at- it yes. is something uh that i am very grateful that when i uttered those words to my partner he said okay uh, and I think that that that's one of the reasons that I am one grateful that he is in fact a relationship anarchist and not a not technically polyamorous mm-hmm. uh, because for him it was like well this will last as long as it lasts and then there's there was at that point no reason for us to ever part on bad terms yeah and so he said okay and the thing is that almost seven years later I I I changed my mind I'm good. I don't, I don't want to find my monogamous dream boat. I don't want it. I, I wouldn't want a monogamous relationship ever in my life ever again, but who I was six and a half years ago did Still think she that wanted that. Cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that's <laughs> the advice I guess is usually you don't like a lot of people don't know what they want sometimes. And so they say what makes them feel safe. And at the time, the idea of dating somebody polyamorous again, because that wasn't my first time at that rodeo, Mm -hmm. but I had been hurt multiple times before. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was making myself safe by, by saying out loud, well, (laughs) eventually I want this other thing. Mm -hmm. 
and he was like okay and then i never awesome. eventually never happened to it yeah. <laughs> exactly so yes everybody it absolutely makes sense for polyamorous people to say i don't ever want to date a monogamous person i get it i get it uh that's like me as a as a person who enjoys uh rope for example mm-hmm. i don't want to play with a beginner mm-hmm. that that doesn't mean that there aren't beginners out there with natural skill who could make me feel really nice in rope, but I've had enough experience now to be like, nah. You're like, I don't really want Ristrop tonight. Let's not. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And that's okay for polyamorous people to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to help newbie. Some, some polyamorous people don't like to date newbie polyam people either. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do the training. They want someone who already knows what's going on. Right. Everybody can have their own boundaries. And this absolutely. Can be one of them. But when it when it hits that that button, when it's like, this is someone I really like yep. and they said this and now I don't know what to do. That's when I want to like offer patience. Maybe they'll break your heart. Maybe they won't. Yeah. But tell people. Maybe you'll break their heart. Maybe you chance. won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or don't. Uh, definitely I am very risk averse and there are (laughs) lots of chances I don't take. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a part of me that wonders if the reason that I cling to monogamy is really just that I'm afraid of being hurt again. Um, but I can tell you this, I haven't been hurt in the last seven years. I also have not fallen in love again. I'm also looking at you like I'm about to call bullshit because nobody Uh, actually goes seven years with no hurt. No, no romantic hurt. I, my partner has not hurt me. Like I have not suffered heartache since I started this relationship. That's adorable. I know. (laughs) He's really good. (laughs) He's full up. I'm so sorry, everyone. He is full up, but (laughs) (laughs) but he's amazing so i know that you have good relationships with some of your metamors all of them maybe all of them but like i know in particular at least you live with one of them right Uh, and i was wondering if you would be willing to talk with us a little bit about sort of metamor relationships and how that can enhance relationships where you're not necessarily seeing more than one person but they still kind of come with a polycule. Yeah. So I have a I have a blog post that I wrote at the beginning of this relationship called How Does It Work? Mm-hmm. Um, because so many people were like, how does it work? So I wrote, <laughs> here's how it works. Uh, <laughs> some of my how titles are, work? <laughs> I'm, I'm very like direct about that. So yeah, here's how it works. Um, I do, I live with one of my metamors. Uh, that happened during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. prior to this, uh, my partner, he lives with, he lives with one partner. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been together the longest. And the reason that they live together is purely financial. It's just, we live in Los Angeles and it is impossible for people to afford a place by themselves. Yep. Um, they also owned a business together. So they just made sense. Uh, my metamor had an apartment and I had like a condo nearby. And so we happened the, the one that I live with now, mm-hmm. um, we became really close because we lived close to each other. So we start, they actually invite, uh, they invite introduced me to our partner. So mm-hmm. they were an acquaintance who eventually became my best friend during the pandemic and quarantine. It got real lonely, yep. like real lonely. I'm an introvert, but I like having the option to go out and be around people and then go home and be by myself and recharge pandemic took away the option. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of it, uh, in my, in my day job, I'm an events producer and there were no events. So I was worried about was income Sixty to zero. <laughs> yep. I was like, Oh, where's the money going to come from? So I sold my house and my metamor and I are now renting a house together. Mm-hmm. So that happened in October of 2020. It, we were nervous at first and we basically just decided to commit to one year. Let just how bad could it be? Right. Mm -hmm. And if it's terrible, then in a year, 
you won't be roommates anymore. We won't, well, we won't do it. We'll go back and find our separate places. But it didn't take long before we realized that we were both really happy living with each other. Um, my partner also had, um, for most of this time, another partner. So at one point he had four. He had four regular partners and a comet. So I'm saying he's full, full, no vacancy. Um, <laughs> the 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 my I guess my third metamor or the the fourth one of us, mm-hmm. um, they restructured their relationship late last year. So mm-hmm. technically, she is no longer a metamor, but we still consider part of the polycule. Mm-hmm. Um, like an honorary member. I mean, she's like well, a member of them. Like she's part of the emotional closeness. Yes, and your friends still. It's just not a romantic connection. Correct. Anymore. And it it's kind of like how I said earlier. When once once we started dating, you know, my partner and I realized there's no reason for us this to ever end poorly. Like if it has mm-hmm. to end, it ends, and it's okay. So that's what happened with them. So he's now down to three partners, and there are no comets in a pandemic. So you know, this is where we are. It's pretty stable. And we are all talking about moving in together and getting a house together. That's exciting. Uh, we're all over 40. We are all child-free by choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this economy. <laughs> I mean, look. Who's going to take care of us, right? Logistics a little, right? Like... It makes sense. We can all move in together and then hire a caregiver to come and take care of all of us when we're old because we don't have kids to do it. So... <laughs> And in the meantime, you can all get the polyamfam sweaters that say monogamy in this economy. Exactly. And there you're. It, um, it just makes a lot of sense that, you know, it's, it's interesting. You had, we thought for sure when, when the metamore, who's my roommate now, um, and I were moving in together, we figured we were going to be the two that were going to be the most complicated to live together. Oh. And it was kind of like a, if we can make it work this whole group thing can work. Mm, Okay. So we're pretty sold on this whole group thing can work. And the only problem is, again, we live in Los Angeles and it is impossible to find, find a place that's big enough. That's exactly because, because both my metamor and I work from home. So not only do we need each our own bedroom, we also need offices. So we need a six bedroom house minimum. Right. That's the problem anywhere, but it's especially the problem when you start adding offices or kids or offices Mm -hmm. and kids. It's yeah. Which is part of why everyone's polyamorous retirement dream is like plots in the woods with multiple (laughs) tiny tiny houses. houses. We we started there. Tiny house office and your tiny house home and they can be separate, but next to each other. And then you can run from your tiny house to the other. The tiny tiny house house. office could be a fix for this because we could have, because we don't, we actually don't really want um, separate like we thought about duplexes, fourplexes and things like that, but we mm-hmm. don't want four separate little kitchens. We want one big, awesome kitchen. Right. So we want like a big house and then maybe two little tiny house offices. <laughs> one of my friends uh, has bought a house that he, his partner, his ex who he has kids with and her partner all live in with giant kitchen and giant common spaces, but like two separate wings of adult rooms. Yeah, uh, perfect. So they don't have to move the kids around as much. And then he built a tiny house office shed outside because there was no longer room in the house once they had all those people in it for his office. We have we have a, a, a polyamorous quad with a four-year-old. Well, I guess at this point, that kid is six because that was pre-pandemic that she was four years old, but, um, that's so yeah. six or seven year old, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that they, that they also created a, a kind of like a, a shed in the backyard for mm-hmm. one of the, one of the guys who just, he, he needed his own space. Yep. And so they did that. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's, not for everybody. And if you had told me when I started this relationship that I would one day want to move in with everybody, you would have said, I would have said, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I never, I was on record of, I never want to live with anyone else again. My late husband was a hoarder. Um, so I had a little bit of like, I want everything in my house to be mine and nobody else's for a long time. Um, but I've, I have gotten used to sharing space again. And it is nice 
um, on like, for example, nights when there are thunderstorms to not be alone in the house, it, it feels good. Um, and I've started to even feel compersion on the nights that my partner is here and not with me. Oh, that's cute. Um, it's weird, but it's cool. <laughs> right. Like, because uh, I don't even always necessarily need him in my room with me. I just like knowing that he's in the house. Yeah. And look, and like, I'm a big believer in compersion not being mandatory, but being super Absolutely nice. not. And so, like, hearing little stories like that of, like, I went years without this being a big thing, but it's nice that it's happening. Yeah. This, this, I, uh, this I'm, is the wholesome content I want. I, I, ha I have a blog post about, I can't remember what I called it, but I have a blog post about compersion where I the metaphor I use is, um, people always talk about how like after they go for a run, they get endorphins. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing I get after a run is exhausted. Right. I just get I do, sweaty and sad. Sweaty and tired and, and gross. And I don't, I don't get endorphins. I do not get the rush post-exercise. And that is what compersion felt like to me. Oh, no, I, I don't feel bad. I don't feel like awful about him being with other people, but I don't feel like like it's benefiting me like yay good I have good feelings like that doesn't happen either right um, like, but now it's starting to so it's weird yeah. look I occasionally have like a moment of oh yay but it's almost never about relationships it's almost always like I have that oh yay moment about like my partner's hobby that has nothing to do with me you know I'm much more likely to have that about like the cute sword fighting demo he's doing on a Wednesday night than like uh, date night with somebody else. But sometimes I'll have it about like my partner and his nesting partners just had their anniversary and like they made the cutest Facebook post and I was like, oh, they're the most adorable. This is just so oh. oh, sweet. I had it, I had it just today. Uh, so my partner has, he started a new job. It's very demanding and he's only getting one day off every two weeks. Uh, now split that between three partners. It That's was, rough. This is not, it is, that was not feasible. So my metamor and I, uh, my roommate metamor and I, we got a hotel room down near his work. Mm-hmm. And so last night I was in the hotel and then tonight my metamor is down at the hotel. So we got mm -hmm. it for two nights, made sure they changed the sheets between the two nights. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, metamor went down there, we had lunch and then I dropped them back off at the hotel and I was like, okay, I'm going to head home now. And I was like, oh, wait, have you ever spent the night with him in a hotel? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, it's so much fun. I'm so excited for you. Mm -hmm. Cause like, this is, it's like an experience I really love. And now I'm happy for them to get to experience it for the first time. And hopefully they love it too. Um, but it's like, it's like when you, when you, when someone tells you they're about to go to your favorite restaurant and you're like so excited for them to get to try it. Yeah. That's how it felt. Right. Um, so it was like, ugh, I'm not at all sad. Like last night was amazing. Do I want to have that night again tonight? Absolutely. But also I'm tired and I am very much looking forward to cuddling with my cat and passing out. I'm okay. I'm good. Yep. So I'm happy for someone else to have that night now. So for people who are like trying to be good polyamorous partners to their monogamous partners, if they end up on that side of this equation, do you have good advice for them in like being careful about their monogamous partners? cares and wants and needs in these situations that might be different from their own yes um the biggest thing that i think the polyam partners of monogamous people need to work on and work like ha like master really uh is acknowledgement and validation and not mm -hmm. trying to fix their woes um when your monogamous partner says, I feel sad because you spent the night with somebody else, that is not cause to get upset with them or feel guilty or any of that. They're sharing with you how they feel and you need to acknowledge that feeling and validate. Well, it makes sense that you're sad about that because you're so used to me being with you every night. 
how can I reassure you that I'm very excited to be with you tonight? Like, it's not about, well, do you want me to see my other partner less? Do you want me to like, don't try to fix it. Just listen and accept that they're sharing a feeling with you. Right. Listen, accept, ask about proactive, positive things that you can do in their relationship, not subtracting things from other places in uh, implied response to Mm -hmm. their issue. Um, Because a lot of times they'll just get, they'll just get really defensive and it doesn't help. Well, anyone really. Um, There's also another thing, especially if you're, if you're kind of new to polyamory, if you're not already like expert level at, you know, managing your emotions and jealousies and all of that stuff and helping people process theirs. If this is something still very new to you, Mm -hmm. resist the urge to think that polyamory is evolved and that you're better than your monogamous partner. Yes, for sure. And, and acknowledge that you're going to make mistakes and there are going to be times when your monogamous partner is going to point out those mistakes and you're going to say, well, this is because you're mono. No, you're actually making mistakes. Just like saying this is just because you're jealous isn't helpful in an argument. This is just because you're mono is also never helpful in an argument. Don't tell it. Just just banish it from Mm -hmm. the argumentative lexicon. Just just put it away. Put it in a box. It, It can be really hard because just like the mono person wants to understand why does the polyamorous person need somebody else? Mm-hmm. The polyamorous person sometimes wants to understand why doesn't the mono person need somebody else? And right. I, I have why a, can't someone else do this for you. Yeah. Why do you want it all from me? And that can, if, if you don't do the thing where you naturally feel, <laughs> I want to say naturally feel because I think forced feeling this way doesn't work either that your partner has good faith and best intentions when they, when they confide in you, how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just not going to, it's not going to go to a happy place. Yeah. It's not going to end well. If you think that every single time they tell you something about how they're feeling, they're manipulating you. And I know that some people do that, For but sure. if that is the case, it's not going to work anyway. So, you know, Right. The so there's try a to line have some the, patience. There's a line of the relationship anarchist manifesto that says trust is better. Mm-hmm. And that's just a thing that should apply to relationships, I think. You don't have to be a relationship anarchist to try to apply that precept to your just life. Like, just like you don't have to be polyamorous to apply a lot of the wonderful things that polyamory talks about into your monogamous relationship. Right. Everything that works for polyamory works great for monogamy too. Polyamorous dating advice is just dating advice. Yep. <clears throat> the number of times that I'll say like, oh, well, you know, da da da. here's advice about polyamory and here's how I did it. And then the number of people will be like, well, that's good advice for any relationship. I know, but I'm not talking about any relationship. I'm talking about mine. Exactly. <laughs> I, um... I have a section on the blog that is tagged general relationship advice where I realize that I've written a whole, you know, 800 or thousand words where I didn't mention polyamory or metamors or whatever once. And I'm like, oh, this is actually just a post about how to not be a dick when you argue. I'll tag it general relationship advice and hopefully the monos will find it. Yeah. The thing is, mono plus poly is a niche of a niche. Yes. It's it's a really small niche of a niche. And most of the time when mono people, like when they start looking for resources and mm-hmm. they find polyamorous resources, many of those resources do not include their relationship style. Yep. The first time I tried to read some of the polyam books, I was like, oh, I chucked them. Well, I... I virtually chucked them because I don't read actual physical books anymore, but I virtually was like, nope, this isn't for me. Um, and that's kind of why I started writing was I just felt like, first of all, if I'm feeling this way, there's other people out there feeling this way. So I'm going to share my journey 
and hopefully it helps people. And it has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the nature of this conversation has been changing. I think more polyamorous content creators um, who do education and support are starting to recognize that mono plus poly is a thing that can work. It takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So does polyamory in general. So do relationships in general, but it can work. I don't think it's definitely seven years ago, there was a lot less support for mono plus poly than there is now. Definitely. I, I like-, like to take some credit for that, but I, I probably can take some credit for that. You can. <laughs> You've, you've been running a large group about it for five years yeah. that alone would be enough and then add in that you have a blog that people I had the blog it was I've had a couple of I've had a couple of posts go viral like yes yeah. it's it's uh it, I had you something helped. to do with it you helped. I helped but I'm not um I don't I don't make like income off of any of no. that I never made a cent off my blog or when I had a podcast for its brief existence. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I ever made some money on was when I did coaching. And the only reason I started doing that was because when I was moderating the Facebook groups, people would start sending me private messages, asking me for direct advice. Yeah. And it was taking hours and hours of my time to respond to them. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to start charging for this time. Mm-hmm. People can post in the regular group and I will go in when I have free time and the desire to. Mm -hmm. And I will help people for free all the time. Mm -hmm. But if someone says, I want one-on-one time with you at my convenience, I do charge for that. Yep. But that's the only thing I don't make money off of TikTok. I don't make money off of any of this. I do because if once I do, once it's a job, I resent it. Right. And to make money (laughs) off of TikTok, you got to have like a million followers. And and I don't even want that. I I love, I love my followers. I have such good followers. It's kind of ideal to stay in the tiny little unmonetizable range that we're in where it's like, you know, off of all my lives this month, I think I made a combined 23 cents. Oh my gosh. 23 whole cents. I've made like seven. (laughs) I love it when I first start a live and it'll be like 42 people. I'm like, what are all of you doing here? And I'll wait till it gets like eight people. And it's like when eight people are watching, that's when it gets good. Like, okay, these are my people. These are my people. (laughs) but yes so I really appreciate you coming and talking to me about this do you have any like closing final thoughts about this before Uh, I wrap us up uh closing final thoughts about mono plus poly is uh it it is it is possible and Mm -hmm. also just remember that the, the the polyam side of that has just as much to fear as the mono side. And sometimes you really just need to check in with each other because you're both afraid. Um, and I think a lot of times the burden of doing the emotional work falls on the mono person, but the polyamorous person has to do a lot of emotional work too. So as with all relationships, relationships between a monogamous person and a polyamorous person can be a lot of work, but can be really valuable. And I appreciate you talking to us a little bit about the kinds of work that go into this particular dynamic, because it's one that I think a lot of us potentially end up in at some point, but are sort of leery of or blame our one failure at on the difference in relationship orientation rather than whatever was actually going on at that moment. Because a lot of the time, It's just our personal incompatibilities or an unwillingness to do the little bit of work to get through that underlying relationship issue and get to the meat of having a healthy relationship together. And that exactly is why I started the Monocorn Sanctuary, because if a mono person in a mono plus poly relationship went to a standard relationship Mm -hmm. forum to ask for advice, people would say it's because your partner is polyamorous. That's the problem. And if they went to a polyamorous relationship forum to ask for advice, they would be told it's because you're monogamous and that's the problem. And sometimes a relationship problem is just a relationship problem. And it doesn't actually have anything to do with the mono plus poly of it all. Exactly. The orientation is often not the root of the particular issue that you're having. And when it is, you can still come to an understanding. 
Mm-hmm. So exactly. Thank you so Even much. Even if that understanding is we need to end this. Right. Because that's, that's still an understanding. Still good if you yes. learn something about yourselves along the way. Yeah. There you go. So thank you for joining me, Fee. Thank you for having me. It has been wonderful. It's so nice to see your face. So once again, I want to thank Fee for being with me to talk about that. And really, it's not something that I have a super easy time understanding, uh, being the monogamous person in a monoplus polyam relationship. But I really appreciate the insight that she had to offer us. And as we were saying, in general, the entire idea in all of these relationships is the same being a compassionate partner willing to listen to your partner's needs and to take it at the speed that the two of you need to go is the best way to sort of handle all of this. You can find Fee's blog at polyamoring.blog. You can find her on TikTok at polyamoring. And you can find her Facebook group, The Monocorn Sanctuary, on Facebook if you'd like to find more of her. And as always, you can find the Ready for Polyamory blog at readyforpolyamory.com. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Ready for Polyamory, and I'm on Twitter at LauraCB88. Have a great week.